0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians chapter 3, and we'll be in verse 19 primarily tonight. We'll, be, we'll reference some verses throughout Galatians chapter 3, but we'll be primarily in verse 19 tonight. The title of this evening's message is, Why Then the Law? Why Then the Law? And we we come to a place in our text this evening, as we've been moving uh, on Sunday evenings, kind of through the introductions to the book of Galatians, and I felt like it was uh, most prudent that we would spend some time on this one main verse, and kind of hang out here for this evening's message, because we spent uh, so much time in the first chapter is really focusing on uh, really a couple of main themes as we went through Galatians chapter 1. Uh, and so we're going to kind of look at this one verse in chapter 3, and I think it's going to kind of encompass uh, most of what we're looking uh, as it goes with what we've been hammering through really hard. So just a reminder, just a reminder so we stay on the same page. And for anyone who, who hasn't been here, just a quick reminder as we run through before we get into it. As we come to the book of Galatians, Paul is writing, and he's writing to the region of Galatia. It'd be the, the big towns would be Derby, Lystra, Aconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. So if you're, if you're reading through the book of Acts and you see that he's in those towns, that is the, the, the region in which he is writing this letter. And so he, he put a lot of love, he put a lot of time. If you read through the book of Acts, you see that, that he made a lot of efforts to travel back through this region and really minister and disciple to the people that were in Galatia. He nearly lost his life preaching and ministering to them on his missionary journeys. And so then, as Paul moves on, he gets word that after his departure, after all of the love and all of the ministering and all of the preaching and all of the leading, all of the mentoring, all of the discipling, all the things that he did in the region of Galatia, he he goes away and he hears that the Judaizers, that those who come and they started preaching the law to the people of Galatia, after he had preached grace... So hard, and he had preached to the Gentiles so hard in the region, suddenly the the Judaizers would come behind him, and they would start to discount what he said. And what he heard that troubled him so dearly was that these people in this region had begun to listen to them. It's one thing if Paul had heard that somebody had come along behind him and started saying these things. It's another thing for Paul to hear that not only did somebody come behind him preaching a false gospel... But that the people had started to listen to it and started to heed to it and started to give it some merit. And so he hears they're going away from the truth and and Paul obviously is not happy about this. We pointed out in this letter that he doesn't have a commendation for the people of Galatia. In most of his letters, he'll say, you know, I, I, I'm glad to hear that I find this about you. Or, or he'll name some people in the area that he's happy to hear and happy to hear from. But as Paul gets into this letter, he doesn't give a commendation. He really goes right into the fussing at him. you could say. He really just goes and jumps right in on it. It's kind of like when I was a kid. And I knew that I had done something wrong. And I knew dad was coming home, Right? And when Dad walked in that door, knowing that I had done something wrong, there generally wasn't a good conversation that took place before the whipping took place. I don't know how it worked in your household, but in the Maul household, if Little Mall had been bad Mall during the day to Mama Maul, Daddy Maul came home, and we didn't talk about what Baby Maul did. He just kind of took it at Mama Maul's word, all right? And then afterwards, we talked about, you know, why I got the whipping. And so Paul is kind of thrashing like the good father. He kind of looks back and he says, I've got to to write to these people. I can't go to them, so I'm going to write this letter and send it to him. And so early on, he spent time establishing the authority that he had for preaching. Uh, He said to him, you know, I'm apostle of Jesus. He says, I know that the Judaizers have come and they have said things to you like, Why would you even listen to Paul? Paul was going to kill Christians. Paul was a persecutor of Christ. And now you're going to listen to him say something contrary to the law. You're going to listen to him come along with this gospel of grace. Of course, Paul is preaching something different than what we believe. Because Paul, he he was persecuting Christians. And what did Paul say in those first chapters? He said to them, I didn't get my marching orders from Jerusalem. No, I didn't. I was on my way to Damascus and by the grace of Jesus I encountered Jesus and he saved me and straight away I went and preached his word. And no, I didn't go to Jerusalem to get my marching orders from some man. I just started preaching what Jesus laid on my heart. Paul said, I I don't work for them. So of course they don't like what I have to say when it's different than what they say. I preach under the guidance and the unction of the Holy Spirit and that is what I preach. And under God's grace I've been saved. And so when I preach to you that you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to do these things, it's under the the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Paul spends a lot of his time early on saying, I know that they're discounting me, but you need to listen to me because I am under the Holy Spirit. He even goes on and he says... I rebuked Peter because Peter lived as a hypocrite. When people came from Jerusalem he lived one way and when they left he would act another way. So Paul is really kind of establishing that the basic idea that the law that they were talking about was not the standard anymore. He was preaching that the grace of Jesus was the standard and he understood that to try and live to the letter of the law that he had been a Pharisee himself. He understood that it was not something you could accomplish, and that the people were just setting themselves up for a life of misery and failure as they tried to get that. And that brings us to verse 19, our theme verse for tonight. As we ask the question, why then the law? So let's all stand to our feet as we honor the reading of God's holy and inerrant word from the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, Lord, we come to you realizing that if anything is going to happen tonight, Lord God, it's going to be from you, Lord. God, we realize that we are just vessels to be filled by your Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would... Dwell among us this evening, and, and that we would look back at the end of this service and say that we worshiped you fully and we glorified you fully, Jesus. And God, that is my prayer this evening, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So, we're going to dive into three aspects of this question why the law tonight? Why then the law? If Paul's preaching that the standard is not the law and that it's grace, then what is the importance of the law? What purpose does it serve? Why do we even need to talk about it this evening? And so why? what, what was its purpose? And so we're going to look first at why then the law from a perspective of the past, from a perspective of the past. So and tonight's message is going to be, a little different than this morning's message because I'm not going to make you feel really bad for 20 minutes and then make you feel really good for 10, okay? It's going to be a little different, but just just stay with me just a little bit. So we're going to look at it from why the law from a past perspective. It goes on to say, it says, why then the law? Why then in the past? What purpose then does the law serve? And it said it was added because of the transgression. So, it was added. What, what was it added to? What's he talking about? It was added. What was? If, if it's added, then there had to be something there that it was added to. So we're talking about here. Paul's writing says, "Well, you had the Abrahamic covenant. So you had the covenant that God made with Abraham, and then some 430 years later, you had his covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant. So you had the the handing down of the law. And so now it's important that we realize." That when 430 years later, the covenant was given to Moses, it didn't annul the previous covenant with Abraham. It was added to that covenant. So you had the covenant with Abraham, and then 430 years later, the the covenant with Moses was added. The law was given to Moses and added. And so what was that Abrahamic covenant, quickly, as we move on? It was a promise of blessings, basically. God said to Abraham, I'll bless you, I'll bless your seed, and through them, bless nations. So in other words, it's a promise, essentially, of salvation. That through the seed of Abraham, a Messiah would come that would bring about salvation. In fact, when you see in the Bible a reference, and it talks about blessings, and it refers back to someone from the Old Testament, it always refers back to Abraham and never Moses. It always kind of goes back. Look at verse 9. It says he's blessed by the faith of Abraham, and you'll find that as a common theme. So so what's that have to do with the law, Brother Jason? What has, What's that have to do with the law from a past perspective? Well, because of the transgression. So you had the covenant with Abraham. And that covenant was a covenant of blessings, a covenant of promise, a covenant of salvation. But inside of it, it was just blessings. And then as the time goes by and 430 years go by, the people live sinfully, the people continue to drift further and further from God. And so then we have the covenant with Moses handed down, added because of sin, added because of our transgressions. And this was the covenant that was handed down in 1,500 years. We would live under that covenant throughout the Old Testament until Jesus would come. And it really simply was painting one picture that really matters. There it was, it was one big picture that was painted by the giving of the Mosaic Covenant. It was the picture that we can't live up to the standards of God. Why then the law? Why was it handed down? Why was it added to the covenant of Abraham because of the transgressions? It was handed down to show that we cannot achieve those standards of God. We just can't get there. We need a mediator. We need a savior. We needed a messiah because we cannot get to the standards on our own. We would need justification through faith. In other words, we needed a reminder. The people would need a reminder that they needed a savior. I think this is why if you've ever attempted any effort in evangelism, you'll know what I'm saying. You've had a conversation with someone at some point and you said something about your faith, and they said, well, I believe in God. Well, I believe in God. But then when the conversation turned to their Savior and to their sin and to that, you realize there was a disconnect. So they said, I believe in God inasmuch as there is a God. I'm just not sure that I believe in the standard of God in which I need to be measured up against. So I've never realized that I was a sinner, so I didn't realize I needed a Savior. And so without the law, there would be no reminder that we're lost. There would be no need to come to a Savior if you don't have a standard in which there is to live. There's no realization that Jesus dying for our transgressions even mattered if we didn't have that standard to realize we couldn't live up to. You could even say that the peak of the Mosaic Covenant was the cursing that would be manifested when Christ died. When he hung on the cross. And it said, cursed is any man that hang on a tree. When he became sin, he took the curse of the law. He took the death that the law brings. He took that curse on the cross. So you could say that kind of the the peak of that past covenant with Moses was the pinnacle on the cross. But... But the resurrection was kind of the culmination of the Abrahamic covenant and the promise of blessings in that Jesus took our curse. He took our sin. He took our sorrows. He made them his own, but he rose again and he ascended to heaven, right? He kind of carried that out. And so so why then the law from a past perspective? It was an addition for our transgressions. It was the reason that we would realize we need grace. It was the reason that Jesus dying on a cross would be so sweet. You know, if we don't come to grips with the fact that we need something, we don't change anything, do we? right that 's just normal application in our lives right if If the brakes don 't squeak you don 't go change the pads do you if you 're like me, you wait till they roar and then you change the rotors too but if If nothing you realize is wrong, why then would you change anything? So we have this presentation from the past perspective because. It was inserted so that we would realize, so that the people of Israel would realize that they were in need of a Messiah. They had to have that standard handed down. So that's the addition of the covenant of law. The addition because of the transgression. So what about from a future perspective though? Let's look at it from a future perspective. Because after the word transgressions, it gives us another word that I think we need to look at. Until... Or till, depends on which translation you use. Until the seed. Until the seed. So Paul is writing that the law had its purpose. It was introduced. It was added to the Abrahamic covenant as a result of sin. But the seed of Christ, the seed of Abraham coming in Jesus Christ, fulfilled that, perfected that old law. It perfected it. In other words, Paul is writing, yeah, the law had its purpose. And remember who he's writing to here. People who are being preached to about the law. And he says, yeah, the law, it had its purpose. Let's not forget that it served its purpose. It did have a reason for existing to show us that we needed a Savior. But that Savior has come. That Savior has been. And so the law is perfected in the form of Jesus Christ. It was really only meant to be a transitionary period. It was only really meant to take us from the Abrahamic covenant until Jesus came. That was the reason that the law had to be handed down. And so now it's here. And we can move on from it. We don't have to live in it anymore. We don't have to be bound to it anymore. It would be like if we're home and I need to come over to the office and I say to my children, all right, here's the rules. Cason's in charge. Until I get back. right? So when I get back, who's in charge? When I get back, I'm in charge. When I was gone, that law that I handed down before I left, that Cason was in charge, that was applicable. And it mattered. But when I get back, now I'm back in charge. And Carter's so happy. Paul is writing... That the law was given as a temporary standard till Jesus came, but that now they can live under the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ, not under the, the cursed law that they had been bound to. You could say the law was always intended to point to Jesus. It was all intended to point to Jesus. All the symbols. All the, the moons, all the festivals, all the rituals, all the processes of sacrifice, all of the, the cleansing that they had to do, right? All of those things were part of the law. They were part of what was handed down. And they were part of what was abused by men. But Romans 10.4 says that Christ is the end of the law. He perfected it. So it's no longer applicable because it was all meant to point to Jesus. And now we have seen Jesus. Now we have seen him walk on this earth. He's died. He's established the new priesthood. If you read through Hebrews, it says... That he came in the line of Melchizedek. And we don't have time this evening to get into all that. But he was the perfection. He was the new line. He wasn't from the the line before. He was from an entirely new line. He was a new priest. He completed all of that process. And in Hebrews 7.12 it says that when the priesthood changed. That the law changed as well. So along with the new priest Jesus. Now there's a new law. And it's the grace. Right? Because when he died, the veil of the temple was torn. We no longer need a day of atonement to have a priest atone for our sins. We have the one atonement in Jesus Christ that is sufficient for all of our sins. We no longer need to have someone go into the Holy of Holies for us uh, to, to petition because it's been split wide open. We can go ourselves to God. We can go directly to God. We don't need to go by the cleansing ritual because Jesus cleansed everything that needed cleansing when He was on a cross. We don't need to have anybody else go and do anything for us because we have Jesus who has already done it all for us. The law had its purpose, but it's been fulfilled in Christ. The old curse is gone. And the new insertion is Jesus. So why then the law? We've seen in the past it was an addition because of our transgressions. We've seen played out in the future it was a perfection in Jesus Christ. And so why in the present? If it's perfected in Christ, why do we even still have a conversation about the law? If we're no longer under the law... But we're now under grace. Why do we even mention it anymore? Why didn't Paul just write to the church in Galatians? Why doesn't it say in the Bible that Jesus perfected the law? Let's close it off and let's not talk about anything else. And preachers won't have anything to preach about. And you guys can only go to church every once in a while and let him just say grace three or four times. I would say that now the reason for the law in our lives today is for instruction. The reason for the law now is for instruction. We we have the law. We have it all written. We have all of the, the precepts and all of the thoughts and all of the New Testament and all of Jesus perfecting all of these things. And we have all of that laid before us in the Bible. And it's given for our study. It's given for our reproof. It's given for our instruction. It's given in our direction for how we are to live our life in light of the grace that we have received. You could say the ceremonial part of the law passed away. It's gone. But kind of the moral conduct that is set apart by the law and the way that we should live is still laid out here for our standard. This is where the character of God is revealed to us. This is where we get, this is how you should desire to live your life so that you can draw nearer to God. And that scripture is still relevant today. It still matters today. It's still given for our instruction. Because if we go to a world, and what does the world say really? If you go out to share the gospel and you go out into the world you're really going to run into just a few different kinds of people. You're going to run into people that say that there is no authority. right? There is no There is no God of which there is authority. You're going to run into people that say, well, there are no rules. There there are no set standards that we must follow. We can just do what we want to do, right? You're going to run into people that say, well, there's no judge. There's no such thing as a God who, who judges and does these things. And so if you're going into that world, we need to be able to say, but there is a standard. And there is a rule. And there is a judge, and you will be judged by him. And when you're judged, he's not going to look upon your own merits, but by the grace of Jesus, he's going to look upon the life of Jesus. He's going to look and see Jesus Christ. If you have received that substitution for your sins, he's going to see Jesus. And so if we don't have this standard of which to go with, what do we go and tell somebody? What do we go? How do we live our lives? What's our standard? And so that's why the law even still matters to us now. The beauty of it is, when I came to Christ, I didn't have to come having washed my feet a certain way. I didn't have to come having done anything In and of myself to receive Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus says, there's nothing that I can do to add to it. There's nothing that can be done to pluck me out of his hands. That I belong to him. But in light of the fact I belong to him, there's a standard by which I'll desire to live. And so why is the law so important? Why why does it really matter? And I think it comes down to this as we close out tonight. Why then does the law really matter? I think it's the same application as when it was handed down. Why would you turn to a savior if you didn't realize that you were set apart? Why would you turn to Jesus if you didn't realize that your sin had you separated from God, right? So God is holy and we're not. But if we don't have that standard, what's the what's the measurement? How do we I think I'm a pretty good guy. I think I was a pretty good guy before I came to know Christ. So without the standard that says I'm, maybe I'm a good guy, but I'm not holy. The only way I can be is with Jesus Christ. And so why is the law so important? Because it is the standard by which we are measured. It's the standard by which people come to the point that they know they need grace. And so as Paul is writing to the Galatians, And he comes there and he says, these people are coming and they're preaching a false gospel. These people are coming and they're telling you you have to do all of these things to add to something that Jesus did on the cross. He said, I want you to remember, their law had its purpose, but it was perfected in Jesus Christ. It had its season, but its season passed when Jesus came. He's going to go on as we study through Galatians to really just stay on grace. Stay just preaches grace throughout and the freedom that we have in grace. But he has to establish to these people, these people are coming and preaching a false gospel. You've got to lean on the fact that Jesus is your salvation. And so, as we go out. We reach Galatians everywhere we go. People that have been misinformed and misdirected and misguided by people and by the church and by well-intentioned pastors and, and deacons and Sunday school teachers. And they've been presented something contrary to the fact that it's Jesus Christ alone. So we have to remember what Paul kept present in his life all the time that the grace of Jesus was sufficient to save me on the Damascus Road. And I don't want to do anything but share the grace of Jesus with somebody else. I don't want to put somebody else under my standards. I just want to share that Christ alone can save them. Let's pray. Father God, will we come to you this evening. God, we recognize that apart from you, we're nothing. God, we realize that the standard that has been set is too high for us on our own, Lord God. That we can't live a life good enough to be reconciled, but that Jesus Christ came, He lived, He died, He was resurrected, Lord. That we might have salvation, Lord. That we might have faith by grace, Lord God, and we thank you for that grace. God, we pray that you give us the conviction to stand on that grace fully, Lord Jesus, and proclaim it to a world that they too can be saved by your precious blood. God, we thank you, we praise you, and we give you the honor and the glory, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.